Viewer discretion is advised. The following podcast contains material on birth control and sexuality, therefore it may not be suitable for all audiences. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. I'm your host, Alex Padilla, and you're listening to Let's Talk About It, the podcast where I pick a topic and then I talk about it. about it. Hope you guys liked the first episode and came back hungry for more. For today's episode, I will be talking with Dr. Rupinder Tor and asking her about birth control. Dr. Tor is a champion of empowering women through their reproductive health, and I'm incredibly grateful that she's taken the time to sit down and speak with me today. I would like to briefly mention that she's also starting her own organization called Project Empower, which aims to give at-risk girls and women access to birth control because girls who have access to birth control have better access to an education and therefore better access to a better life. Dr. Tor, welcome to Let's Talk About It. How are you today? I'm doing fabulous. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thank you. I'm a little nervous. First question I have is uh, what's the usual age range of women that come into your clinic? So anywhere from 13 is probably the youngest that we're kind of seeing. Oh, wow. Uh women right into their 80s, because even though uh, post-reproductive health, there are some sometimes gynecological issues that they can experience as they get older, but our average age is 25. So most of our population is fairly young. So I would say probably that, you know, 16 to 20 in their 20s is probably the most common sort of age range that we see. All right. So when it comes to starting like your reproductive life, what are the different types of birth control and which ones are the most effective? Yeah. So I think the first thing we need to clarify is that, you know, birth control is not about sex, right? Birth control is about having a reproductive life plan. And everybody should think about, you know, when do they want to be pregnant? How important is it for them not to be pregnant until they're ready? Because that really determines what kind of birth control is going to be the best fit. So for most students, I would think it's going to be at least a year or more and pretty important for them not to be pregnant until they're ready. So they're great candidates for what we call long acting forms of birth control. And so their methods that you do something once and it gives you birth control for an extended period of time. So now you don't have to do something every day or every time you have sex. And because you don't have to do anything, they're usually over 99% effective. Um, and there's three birth control uh, methods that fit into that category in Canada. So what are those three types of birth controls that fit into that category? So um, two of them are IUDs. So the first, IUDs are small devices. They're about 3.5 centimeters. So about the second knuckle on your pinky finger. They're in a T shape and they're designed to fit right inside the uterus. So the copper IUD has no medication. It's literally just copper wire around the stem and that basically acts like a spermicide. It changes how sperm can move and if they can't move that well they can't swim up to the egg. So that's how you get your birth control. There's no medication so you'll still get your regular periods but they can be slightly heavier and crampier. That's the kind of downside of it. But they're $80. They can stay in place for 5 to 12 years so from a cost perspective they're excellent. The second style would be another IUD. So again very similar size and shape uh, but this one is medicated. It's got a little bit of progesterone. That gets released just locally on the inside side of the uterus. So actually it doesn't really go into the bloodstream. So you tend not to get a lot of side effects elsewhere. The medication does two things. It makes a plug, which blocks the sperm. That's how you get your birth control. And the second thing the medication does is it really thins out that blood lining on the inside of the uterus. So periods tend to actually be much lighter. You usually get an 80 to a 95% reduction in your period flow, which is kind of a nice bonus, really. It's about $400. It lasts for five years and it is covered by the Mount Royal students' um, drug plan. So you don't have to pay quite that much, right? You'll get 
some coverage. The third method is actually really new to Canada. It kind of came to the Canadian market in August of 2020, but it has been used extensively around the world. It's a little rod that gets placed into the arm. It's about the size of a matchstick and it slowly releases progesterone into your bloodstream. So side effects can include, you know, premenstrual type symptoms. So whatever you kind of get before your own natural period, those are things that you could possibly experience when you use that um, rod. Your bleeding tends to be a little bit irregular as well. 75% of the time, it's going to be what we call a favorable bleeding profile. So it's going to be less bleeding, less, uh, less often, but 25% of women can get kind of that annoying, kind of more frequent and more prolonged bleeding and spotting, but that can get better with time as well. And there can be a little bit of weight gain. So about, um, you know, 45% of women can gain five pounds or more. That one costs about $350. It's good for about three to four years. And I'm not sure if it's covered on the MRU plan yet, because I think um, it's it's just news, you might have to just look into that. But if it's not covered right now, it, it will be probably the next six months. Why does a copper IUD cause so many like painful side effects when it comes to your period? Basically, your body is prepping you for a pregnancy every month. So you've got hormones that get released from the brain that stimulate your ovaries, your ovaries start to make some hormones, they also make an egg, or they start to get ready to release an egg. Um, and that starts to make some hormones. And then your uterus starts to build up a blood lining. And the reason that's happening is if you fertilize that egg, it needs a nice cushion to sit and grow in. And that's what that blood lining is. So if a woman gets pregnant, the fertilized egg will go and sit in the blood lining, she does not get her period because the blood lining stays in the uterus, and then the pregnancy would continue. If she does not get pregnant that month, her body is like, Oh, I don't need this lining anymore sheds the lining, you get a period and then the whole process starts again. So when you have a copper IUD inside that uterus, as that lining is starting to build up the area inside the uterus has now become a little bit more unstable. And so often like what would happen if you do not have an IUD in place, the blood lining starts to shed starts to shed until it can't sustain itself anymore, right? And then it starts to kind of get shed right out and you start to get your period, right? So it's kind of been sitting there for a little bit before it starts to come out. So what happens with a copper IUD is that lining starts to build, but as it's building, it's kind of unstable. So it starts to shed right away. And so oftentimes the period cycle might be a little bit shorter as well. So it might come like two or three days earlier than what your normal cycle might be. And because it hasn't had time to kind of sit there, it's just not quite as um, as gummy or as sticky as blood normally would be. And so it's more of a gush, right? So that's where you get kind of a heavier kind of a flow. Um, and the crampiness is just there because as your uterus is trying to get rid of that lining, it starts to cramp. And if there's IUD is there, that it can cause a little bit of cramping that way. What are some of like the other side effects when it comes to IUDs? Uh, I've heard that there's potential risk of like puncturing the uterine wall. So how common is that? So there's three main risks with the IUD and most of them are related to the procedure of having it put in. So the first risk is kind of um, the risk of infection. If you can imagine if somebody has an STI, like a chlamydia infection inside their vagina or by their cervix, and that's the route we have to pass through to get into the into that uterus, we could actually push the infection further up into the pelvis, right? And so then it becomes like a, a bigger organ infection, like a like a kidney infection. Now it's it's like a it's an infection of the uterus, right? So that could be a little bit more serious. Um, but we always check people for STIs before. And if we find them, we always treat them so they don't have a chance to develop into a pelvic infection. So we kind of have ways to get around that. We always clean the area before we place the IUD as well. The second risk is the risk that you mentioned, the risk of it puncturing through. So when we're placing the IUD, it's possible that it could poke through the muscle and actually end up into the pelvis. Um, that chance is 0.1%. So it is rare. And it's even less in people who are more experienced in putting them in. So people who are doing them a lot and stuff, their numbers tend to be even less than that. 
Um, and if it were to happen, like what's the worst case scenario? Well, the actual hole is pretty small. The inserter is like the size of a pen. So that just heals up on its own. But a woman would require surgery, like a day surgery with some cameras to go and retrieve that IUD from the pelvis. There's no effect on future fertility in that situation. Because if you think about women who have C-sections, they have huge incisions around their uterus, but they're still able to get pregnant. So a small puncture isn't going to affect future fertility. Um, and then the third risk, um, which is the most common risk, is the risk of expulsion. That means your body is like, what the heck is this thing? And it starts to cramp it and it actually cramps it right out and back out the vagina again. That can happen 5% of the time. Usually it's in the first, you know, month or so after it's placed, um, but it can happen at any point. And so we do teach women on how to check on their strings or how to know what bleeding profile to expect so that they know that their IUD is still there and it's working and doing what it's supposed to be. And uh, would the expulsion be more common with the hormonal IUD or with the copper one? I don't think there's good data to tell us that one is more than the other. So they're pretty similar in shape and size. Um, and um, yeah, so my guess would be it may be slightly higher with a copper IUD just because the expulsions usually tend to come with the cramping. And as long as there's a lining there, your body's going to cramp to get it out, right? What happens with the hormonal IUD, because the lining is quite thinned out, your uterus isn't really all that crampy and stuff. But, you know, I would still say it's about five to six percent probably for both of those. Um, some women do tend to expulsion, like like if you have one expulsion, you know, we'll try again. If you have two, OK, we'll try again. If you have three, I think your body's trying to tell us something. So then we talk about something else. Right. And you mentioned that there's a string uh, attached to the IUDs. So this might be kind of a silly question, but if you use tampons, what is the likelihood of you accidentally pulling out your IUD, like instead of the tampon string? Yeah, so that's a great question. So um, we say, you know what, just be careful. You know, when you put them in, be gentle when you go in, be gentle when you come out and just get in the habit of inspecting them before you throw them away. It's not very common to pull it out with a tampon, but it can happen, right? So just be aware of that, uh, but keep in mind, if you end up going with a, a, the medicated IUD, because you're barely bleeding at all, you actually may not be using condoms all that often. Uh, may not be using tampons. Yeah. Freudian yeah. slip there. <laughs> but yeah, so you mentioned condoms, which are a different type of birth control. What are other types of birth control that are available to women aside from IUDs? So yeah, so long acting methods, so the IUDs and the subdermal implant, those are kind of what we call our top tier, our gold stars of birth control, because they're all over 99 effective, right? Exactly. Then we get into our second tier. So second tier is methods that are about, you know, maybe 10% effective or more. So that usually includes all of the hormonal options. So that includes the birth control pill, the patch and the vaginal ring. Now those three are all identical, right? They have two hormones, they have estrogen and progesterone, it's just a different way of getting that hormone into your blood system. So either you take it orally, it goes through the skin, if it's the patch, or it goes through the vaginal walls, if it is the vaginal ring, but basically the medication ends up in your bloodstream and the way that it works is it stops your ovaries from releasing an egg to do that it's kind of like overriding your system to override your system it has to be at higher doses right so now you get these higher doses of hormones circulating in your bloodstream so one of the downfalls of those methods is that some women can sometimes get some side effects from having those hormones in their system right or they can have health conditions where they don't want these hormones in their system or they can be on medications where there can be some interactions as well so that's where we have to be careful there is the depo provera which is also in that category, that's an injection once every three months. Mm -hmm. um, it is associated with some weight gain. So usually about five to 10 pounds, and it does cause irregular bleeding and spotting, but oftentimes 
the more injections you get, the less bleeding and spotting you'll get as well. But I think because of the weight gain, it just hasn't picked up a lot as a very popular method, right? Then we get into what we call the bottom tier. So these are kind of our low liars, right? Because their failure rates can be up to, you know, 30%, right? So that includes condoms, it includes the female condom, it includes the rhythm method, you know, you're checking your dates and stuff. It includes what some of my patients like to call the pull and pray method, right? So those methods are great for women who sort of say, you know what, I want to get pregnant in a year. And if I get pregnant sooner, it's really not a big deal to me. Great option for them, right? Because they're short acting and you know, you can stop them like you have to use them every day or every time you have sex. So you know, I mean, like, it's easy to stop and and not stop them. And if you forget, or you don't use it properly, it's not a big deal. But those methods, you know, on their own probably would not be the best method for someone whose whose reproductive needs are more along the lines of long acting where they're like, I don't want to be pregnant for at least a year or more really important for me not to be pregnant because those methods may actually be leaving them at risk for an unplanned pregnancy. And so why are methods like the pill, the injection, the patch less effective than IUDs? Because, you know, we can look at different sets of numbers. So there is perfect use and there is typical use, right? Use is in a lab. Somebody is poking you and telling you to take your pill. So, you you know, with perfect use, yes, we can get numbers that are quite high. But unfortunately, we are not perfect. We are typical, you know, we sometimes forget yeah. to take our pills, you know, maybe we take it a couple hours late, or we ended up sleeping at a friend's house and forgot to bring our pill pack with us or you know what I mean. And so in typical, and I, I think it's unfair to put expectations for people to be perfect, you know, because we're not. And so we really do need to look at in the real world, you know, just give and take with our regular activities, and what we're doing, what is the typical use failure rates. And so that's where the difference comes in. Because every time you have to do something is every time you may forget or not do it right, right? So if you have to do something every time you have sex or every time or every day, you know, there's just a likelihood that you're not going to do it, right? Whereas long acting birth control, if you put it in once, that's it. You don't have to do anything. It's going to work. It doesn't matter what you're doing, where you're sleeping, you know, like what time you got up that day or whatever. It doesn't matter. It is working by default, right? And what I tell young women, like sometimes they'll come in and, you know, they're a little bit maybe apprehensive about their procedure and, you know, it can cramp just a tiny bit or, you know, when we're putting it in, you know, but when they're done, you know, they're like, okay, you know, they're feeling, usually it's very quick after a few minutes are actually feeling better. And I said, you know what, now, like for the next five years, your worry about birth control is like, or this unplanned pregnancy looming over you is off your plate. Because, you know, IUDs in particular are, like I said, over 99% effective. Um, And if you happen to, let's say, choose the IUD that's medicated, and now you're not really having to deal with your periods, well, guess what? Now dealing with your period every month and the bleeding and everything, like off your plate, right? Mm -hmm. Now you can focus on what you need to do, right? You're young, you guys are going to school, you've got some, you know, plans for your education, for your career, like you can just go forward with that and have confidence, knowing that those kinds of things are not going to trip you up. Nothing can kill your vibe like an unplanned pregnancy. (laughs) What a great quote to end on. Sadly, my darlings, that's all the time we have for today. But if you enjoyed yourself, don't forget to tune in next time for another episode of Let's Talk About It.